Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We still don't have an intro, so I'm stuck saying that every time. Uh, <laughs> apparently the intro's coming. We have some guy. We apparently have some guy at our company that travels the world, basically doing freelance audio and lights and all kinds of stuff. And half the time he's in some country that's completely off the grid, so we have like a five-day window to catch him. So apparently in the next like five days... We're going to catch him, and he will be supposedly be able to make one by the end of the month. I don't really know what that means. I'm not getting my hopes up because we've been saying that since July, but apparently it's coming. What's up? So, so let me. He travels the world making intros, or or he travels the world like as as his job. I think he travels the world partially because he can, partially for work, and is just basically a nomad. Okay. I don't really oh, yeah, know. I'm trying to think life. of some kind of like a movie character to equate him to, but I'm really blanking right now. But yeah, I think it's part. part I would say half and half. Okay. Well, I mean, I should have majored in that. Yeah, I don't know. I asked Will about the intro again the other day, and he said the guy is in some country that I cannot pronounce or spell. Okay. Well, I mean that's 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 probably not a great place to be, but I'll let him have it. Yeah. Whatever. I I don't know. <laughs> I hope he's safe. Anyway, uh, we got a packed show today. We have some football stuff we'll get into. It's kind of an interesting week just because, you know, they're playing some. Ole Miss is playing a school it should kick the shit out of. And so there's not a whole lot to preview. Some basketball notes, probably some college football stuff. Andrew Stevens is coming back, our resident degenerate friend from Louisiana, to talk some college football. I was supposed to have that pre recorded, but he is the athletic director of a high school in addition to his armchair thing. And he had some kind of meeting or something. Sounded very much more important than, you know, shooting yeah, shit on a does, podcast. That does sound like an official title. So yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm sure there's some things that come along with that. That probably came over this podcast. So, anyway, so we actually, as we we're talking right now, I don't know what Andrew and I are going to talk about. I don't really understand. I, mean, I don't really have that planned out, as most things. So we'll have that coming in a minute. By the, um, obviously, it'll be put together by the time you're listening to this. So, oh. Yeah, so so it's not 11. I guess we can tell the people we're recording on Wednesday morning. Do you remember where you were when, when, when the plane crashed? I was in my first grade classroom, and if I'm not mistaken, I remember, I mean, I was like five and so or six, right. and I don't remember a ton about it, but I do remember like teachers being somewhat like hushed but fran- like not frantic frantically hushed if that makes any sense at all and then i think i left school early that day i'm pretty sure we got out of school uh i think it like i would say around lunch and i remember going home and like it being on the news on you know the rounded screen television cuz flat screens weren't a thing back then i didn't really understand what was going on but kind of did but yeah i mean i was 6 i remember where i was i kind of remember what happened but obviously in some of those ways, it sounds weird or messed up to say, but I wish it had been a little bit older to like capture the gravity of the moment at the time. And I know that sounds weird because it was an awful event. But if like, I, I yes, wish I had been old enough to be able to process what was going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, I was in third grade. Yeah. Yeah. I was in third grade. It was. It was one of. The, I think it was the most surreal moment of. It was like the first time that I actually like realized because 
when you're a dumb kid, you don't realize that, you know, there's actually bad people out there. I think that's the first time I actually realized that, oh, crap, there's actual evil in the world. See, I it wasn't is. old enough to. I wish it would have. I, I don't. I wish it would would not have happened. Period. I feel weird right. saying that. I wish I would have been, you know, twelve, thirteen ish at least, sixth, seventh grade to kind of fully better understand the whole thing. Yeah, it's just it, it was one of the most unfortunate, surreal moments of. And, and, and it, I don't know if it, you get desensitized, you know, after eighteen years or whatever, but it, I. It's crazy just that day and how you can remember exactly where you are and how you can remember, you know, going home and seeing the news at 3 o'clock. Because the thing I remember most is people didn't know what was next. I mean, they they just kept coming. So that that's, I think, what was the most, like, scariest part is you didn't know who was getting hit next because for all you knew, this was going to keep happening. And I guess it died down late that morning, but still, I mean, it, it, it was just scary from the perspective of, Oh God! What's coming next? They're going to drop a bomb on you know the the, the state of or the Washington D.C. Like you just didn't know what was coming next. Yeah, and in my from my perspective, it still feels like a historic event, like something you'd learn about in a history book. Because I wasn't old enough to process it, but I've watched a lot of documentaries and read a couple books on just various angles and stuff of what happened. But yeah, I do remember. So my mom at the time uh, worked at the tallest building in the downtown Jackson area. That yeah. sounded like a very much like a Trump brag. Um, it is the tallest building. It is taller than all the others. But point being, like any kind of skyscraper or something like that, or like to my, I remember my mom had to be like, like she came home from work because they were evacuating people out of that building just in case and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, I, I don't want to say desensitized. I always in, I always enjoyed the, like sports center and all that, playing the tributes and stuff and the stuff that happened after it. Obviously, not necessarily the the actual event itself but it's it's i don't know it's cool in like such divided political times or whatever you want to call it like it's cool seeing everyone kind of come together afterwards yeah reminding that like the the fdny yankees game and all that type of stuff is the kind of thing i'm talking about yeah i don't i don't do many many cliche like sayings and stuff but but i do agree with the 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 facebook post that goes around on every day where they where they talk about they miss america you know on 9 12 2001 compared to 9-12-2019. Yeah, I mean, with, with all the political strife nowadays, and I don't get, I don't, I, that's not my place to get into that, but it, uh, it it's certainly extremely more separated than it was the day after the, the worst terrorist attack in American history. Yeah, and then the stuff it led to is always interesting. Uh, the Iraq War and whatever your opinion is on that, I don't know. Anyway... But, yeah, so 9-11, it'll be cool to see some of the tributes and some of the different We stuff. lost in basketball today. How does that happen? Yeah, the USA uh, disgraced the country. They lost to France. Yeah, like, you can tell me we don't have our best players and whatever, but we lost to France, guys, on 9-11. Like, figure it out, Pop. It would have been more fitting to tie France. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't been watching a whole lot of that. I know no one wants to play on Team USA, and it's basically, uh, it's basically become one of those things where, like, it's like the Donovan Mitchell age where you're about to take off in the NBA. And I would argue Donovan Mitchell's already taken off. But you know what I mean. Like like young up-and-coming superstar versus the established superstar doesn't really want to play unless it's the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, look, they'll be there for the Olympics and we'll win the Olympics in five games. But, like, still, why are we losing to France? I don't know, but I listened to a Bill Simmons podcast on this a while back because he loves this all this Team USA basketball stuff. And he pointed out that it's a shame that, like, even dudes like like Landry Shamit and stuff are like turning down Team USA and De'Aaron Fox, 
invitations. But it's oftentimes a pretty good indicator of who's about to blow up the league next. Like, oh, who's, yeah, who's that, about to kind sure. of come. Like, um, he brought up a couple of examples that I can't remember off the top of my head now, but there's a lot of young players that have good showings and have good summers with Team USA and then, you know, tear up the league the next year. So, I don't know. Yeah, it sucks. We shouldn't lose to France. We shouldn't lose to anybody in basketball. Um, not even that squad on that Michael Jordan movie. But, yeah, so we got that. Ole Miss, P- I guess we could start with basketball just because there's not a whole lot new with football. They're playing C-Law. If, we talk, if we're talking about C-Law on Monday, we have a problem. Yeah, so so, so I, uh, I yesterday the Ole Miss basketball schedule came out. Uh, not conference schedule. The non-conference, I guess, has been out. And yeah. I didn't. I tweeted it out or whatever, but I, I didn't even really take a glance through it. I just kind of got it in the press release and was just like, here you go, people consume it. I, I mean, initial impressions are, man, this league is a bear. I mean, you open at Buzz Williams and Texas A&M, home against Arkansas, at Florida, then home against LSU, then back-to-back road games at Tennessee and Georgia, who Georgia should take a gigantic step forward with yep. the way Crean's been recruiting. And I'm not sure if he's a good coach. I'm not sure if he's a bad coach. But he's recruiting at a different level than uh, Mark Fox did. And so you would assume they'd be more competent. And then it's Auburn at LSU again. Then three games in a row at home. South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State. Then mid-February you go at Kentucky, at Missouri. Then Alabama, at Auburn. Then Vanderbilt, Missouri at home. And then at MSU. That's the entire schedule. Like where, where can you sit there and go, hey, actually they should beat that team. Uh, and I'm not saying Ole Miss is going to be bad. I think they have a pretty good. Te- I think they're going to have a pretty good team. But there's no the point. Being, me and Borky were talking about this yesterday. There's literally not a single game other than maybe South Carolina's down again, where you look at and it's like, hey, that should uh, you know, barring something catastrophic, that should be an easy win. Literally, all 18 games. If you don't play well, you're going to get beat, and if you play well, it still may not be enough. <laughs> yeah, that's actually. If I'm Ole Miss, I'm a little upset over two things. I start on the road for the 18th year in a row. That number might be off, but I feel like it's accurate. Um, and I, don't I think like, it's every year I'm, since the pavilion opened. Okay, that's right. They did get Kentucky at home uh, or, or Alabama at home to uh, start SEC play. But other than that, they're always on the road to start SEC play. Um, other than that, the schedule is fine. I'd be a little annoyed just from a rivalry perspective that you get to play State at home on a weekday, but you have to go to Starkville on a Saturday. That would annoy me a little bit. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's a good schedule. You're going to have plenty of uh, Tier 1 opportunities to make the tournament, that's for sure. I say no guaranteed wins, and there aren't, but I, I, I guess I discounted Vanderbilt, who Ole Miss, I believe, only gets one time. But unless Stackhouse has a major turnaround there very quickly with kind of they what lost he has that in the cupboard, class, didn't they? I, I think a lot of it. So I think Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt and South Carolina, I think, should be down-ish. I don't know anything about Missouri, to be completely honest. Other than that, I mean, Arkansas good, better, LSU good, A&M should be better, Georgia good, Tennessee okay, Florida. Yeah, Florida twice, that's good. Uh, yeah, that's not good for Ole Miss. No, well, I don't disagree there. You'd rather play. I mean, you get them at home, you can win that basketball game. I guess if you're talking about from a – I just think I – I don't think it's – I don't think – I think it's I think it's a new SEC in the sense that, like, oh, that could be a really quad one opportunity – I would say there's 15 quad one-ish opportunities borderline. Like, I don't think you need that many this year. So, I wouldn't want to play Florida twice. But I guess there's really just two schools of thought there. Yeah, I mean, 
Ole Miss fans are so ingrained to believe uh, we, you got to win so many games to make the tournament. You got to win so many tier one games to win the tournament. I guess if you believe there's you know a plethora of tier one opportunities on the schedule, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know somebody's going to fall off the earth that's supposed to be good. I'm probably looking at a team like LSU uh, that fits that description. Um, so I mean, I don't think playing the best teams in the SEC hurts your case. Ole Miss's month of January is brutal. Uh huh. So I'll go. I, obviously, I ran through that entire schedule, and if you're sitting there listening, you're like, I didn't, I, I didn't keep up with any of that shit. You said 18 games in a minute. So basically, I'll go slow. I'll go slower here. This is how Ole Miss opens their season. This is their or conference season. This is their month of January. At A and M in the opener, Arkansas at home, at Florida, LSU, back to back road games at Tennessee and Georgia, Auburn, and then February 1st is at LSU. Yeah, that's a. Ooh, buddy, that is a. Uh... So you're playing five road games to three home games there, but you get a three game home stretch right after that. So that's good. Yeah, I guess, but like, man, you don't win one of those first two games. That stretch yeah, of I mean, Florida, LSU, at Tennessee, at Georgia's like, is is it? I'm not saying they're going 0 and 4 in that stretch. It's way too early to say stupid stuff no. like that. But like, that's an easy one. Like when you when you get a league this difficult, it's kind of like the what I kind of do is try to pick out. Hey, if you're not playing well, where are you going to hit a skid? At Florida, LSU, and then back to back games at Tennessee and Georgia before you come back home for Auburn. Like that's a that's a skid alert, I guess. Sure, uh, you need to go. Let's see, you need to go two and three in that stretch, and then split A and M and Arkansas. Be three and four, and you're fine. Because it eases up a little after not much. Dear God. This conference has become a bear overnight. I think it's been a gradual build. I think about three or four years ago, obviously you, I know what you mean by overnight with the coaches getting stronger and it getting better every year, but I think what happened was the SEC was so bad for those two years, whatever, I can't remember the exact years, whatever years it was, they put like three, four teams in the tournament. And the top of the league got stronger. And then I think what you've seen the last two seasons is the middle to bottom part of the SEC has hardened itself out. And those programs have gotten stronger. So you've seen a much – I think last year was really the first really solid example of how deep of a league it was. Oh, that's certainly fair. Uh, SEC and the Dolphins made a mandate that teams start scheduling better. They got tired of watching the tournament teams go to Columbia or Starkville and get beat by a 200 RPI team. I know RPI is not a thing anymore, but they got tired of watching that because it's hard to win on the road, man. And uh, they mandated that these teams get their scheduling act together and, and give them credit. They they certainly have. Yeah, and then after the schedule, I was looking at this thing I put out yesterday. We got a quite the interesting podcast review. So I don't think I told this story on the podcast at the time because yeah, I, I hadn't heard it. Yeah, so like. Most of the weird shit that happens to me, some of it I keep to myself because I don't think people will believe me. And they're just like, this guy's a liar. But I was on the golf course about a month ago. I was at that Mossy Oak tournament, and some guy called me. And we were on, like, the second-to-last hole. We were waiting on a group in front of us. So I was like, oh, whatever. i got time. I'll answer the phone. Because I thought it was a telemarketer. Wait, so, so you answer random numbers? Yeah. I mean, it was a uh, – it was a – it was like a – I can't remember. 601 or 662 number. Man, I – I don't have your number. Good luck getting over me. Well, I I don't know. Like sometimes for work, like if I get a call from a coach or something like that, I might not always have their number saved. So I just kind of make it a habit of going for it. And then if it's a if it's a telemarketer, I'll kind of start screwing with them. I had a telemarketer clap back at me the other day. He told me to f off. After <laughs> I, I think I asked him if I think I asked him. I love screw. When I get really bored, I'll start screwing with those people and be like, so like, 
how do you explain your occupation at parties? It's like, I'm a scammer? How does that work? And then they usually get very upset or hang up most of the time. You know, they can't hang up on you. So if you keep going, they can't hang the phone up on you. Oh, uh, well, I've had some of them break protocol then because they've definitely hung oh, up really? on me. Yeah. But anyway, this guy calls me and he was like, so is this, I'm making up a name because I can't remember the name. He's like, is this, you know, Rebecca on Bumble? And I was like, what? He says, is this Rebecca? And I said, no. And he's like, so you're not on Bumble? I said, no. He said, so you're not a girl? Said, nope. Last time I checked, No. And he was like, well, some girl gave me this number on Bumble. And I was like, well, I think I think someone's screwing with you, pal. And then we just started shooting the shit randomly about, like, his bad luck on Bumble, what I was doing. I was told him I was on a golf course hanging out, and he was, uh, he was kind of messing that up. And then he's like, wait a second, are you on radio? I was like, yeah, something like that, pal. And then he was like, cool, cool. I thought I recognized your voice. I was like, yeah, okay. Because I never told him my name. Yeah. And... Then I was. Then he was just kind of talking about how he got screwed over on Bumble and how that wasn't working out for him. And then I was like, "Look, buddy, I gotta go. Like, I, I don't have all day here." And that was the end of the conversation. And then I guess he took it upon himself to leave us a podcast review. So good on you, man. I'm sorry about your luck. I hope things worked out for you in more ways than one. But so, th- thanks so for the five stars. Dis- we need to discuss this. Do you think that the girl gave him your number or a random number that turned out to be yours? I couldn't tell. I, that's what's really been kind of haunting me, I guess, about this whole thing. I say haunting me. I have literally not so, thought about this one time since it happened until I saw the review yesterday. Oh, see, that, that would be the difference between you and me. I would have to do investigation work because I'd have to get the name of this girl to see if I knew her. Well, I think I may have tr- I don't remember what happened. The details are kind of fuzzy here. But I think I may have asked the guy. I was like, "Who? Well, who gave you the number?" And then he was like, "So and so." Like, but it was only telling me a first name. And I was like, "All right." Finally, I was like, "I don't have time for this." So, I guess there's a chance it's a random number. But man, that would that's that seems like pretty long odds. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's certainly long odds. So but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if the, any. I hope our buddy's luck turns around. Yeah, me too. I hope it worked out for him because he gave us five stars. So I hope. Uh, is there? Do you rate people on Bumble? How does that work? Uh, no, you, I mean, no, you, you don't rate people. You've never done, like, Bumble or Tinder, man? No, never done Bumble or Tinder. Wow. Some some, some people are better than others, I see. No, no, I'm not above it. I find it fascinating, <laughs> but for the better part of the last, like, five years, I've had no reason to be on that. <laughs> so it would get me in trouble. Tr- you'd be in trouble if you were on that? Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't, I, no, I don't know. I'm not judging at all. I'm putting friends and stuff on Bumble. I think it's hilarious. I enjoy that Tinder, like, pickup lines and all that. But, like, no, not much on it. So, anyway, I hope it works out for the guy. Uh, thanks for the review. But, yeah, so that happened. Um, yeah, I hope it works out for him. I he, I didn't – I wish he left Who it. Who gives the wrong number on Bumble? Like, all you got to do is unmatch them and you'll never see them again. Like, what kind of what kind of jackass does that? Oh, really? So maybe they were yeah. just trying to screw with me. No, oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know how Bumble works. So you don't have to give them a number? Like they're... No, 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 no. So it's just like Tinder except the girls have to start the conversation. Um, so... All you have to do is go hit unmatch, and you'll never see them again because you only get a first name. So somebody was screwing with somebody. Well, it sounds like they were screwing with me then if there's no reason to give the yeah. number, and you're not just giving the odds of them giving a random number. So it sounds like someone was screwing with me. So joke's on me here. This guy was just a pawn. 
I don't know if there are any women who listen to this podcast, but uh, if it was you, real dick move. <laughs> yeah, you irritate the poor guy's feelings. Yeah, and confuse the hell out of me at the same time, which I can live with, I guess. But poor guy, he was just trying to. Well, I'm not going to go there, but it didn't. It just he had to talk to me, and he thought he was about to talk to a girl, and he's talking to me, you know, like six beers deep on a golf for, course. That for, can't for be a pleasant this sight. Dude, though, for for calling, like, cause if a girl gives me her number on Bumble, I'm texting first. Like, I'm not I'm not picking up the phone and giving him a call. The respect to this dude, he's got balls. Yeah, I guess he shot his shot, and then after that. It didn't really phase him. It bounced off him like rubber. We just started chatting like old friends. And then about two minutes in, I was like, wait a minute, man. I have no idea who you are. I got to go. <laughs> so, yeah. So that happened about a month ago. But thanks thanks for the review, guy. Uh, I guess we should get to some football. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. O- Ole Miss plays Southeastern Louisiana this week. They should win the game. Uh, I went to practice yesterday. Braylon Sanders was not at practice. I think I saw him walking in. When um, when I was coming onto the practice field, I think he was going into the locker room with a green jersey and shoulder pads on, but he wasn't at practice in the portion of time we were allowed to see. That tells me, I said, well, you said on last uh, Monday show you wouldn't play him. I said, yeah, I probably agree with that mostly, but if he's healthy enough, he's only played two quarters this year, so it might not be the worst thing to get him a couple drives like a glorified preseason game. But him not being at practice on Tuesday that probably tells me he's not going to play at all. And I don't know, man, if that's still lingering, is his status up in the air for Cal? I'm not sure. I would have originally told you no, but I don't know at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to know. Um, we'll see probably. We'll probably have a better idea next week. I don't think he, it's necessary that he plays this week to play against Cal, but I do think you've got to have him in some kind of football shape. He's not played. He played two snaps against Memphis. He didn't play Saturday. Likely not playing this week, so... Yeah, I think the status for Cal is certainly up in the air. And, and frankly, Ole Miss needs him. So, um, it's, it's, it's not been a great look at receiver lately outside of Elijah Moore. So, they, they need somebody that they'll make plays. And that would certainly, you know, fit Braylon Sanders. And, but Ole Miss needs him for Cal. But, yeah, like you said, I'm not sure that's how likely that is at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what's interesting about that is kind of a nice segue into what – I don't remember if we talked about this on Monday, but – other than Elijah Moore, the only receiver to catch a pass was Dontario Drummond, and he caught two on the same drive early and then nothing afterwards. So you basically had three quarters of a game where one wide receiver caught a pass, and Ole Miss is running the ball, I think, like 68% of the time, which is by design. Rich Rod wants to run the ball and wants to run the ball a lot. His big cliche is you want to run it. You know, you want to run it and be able to run it for success, but you also want to be able to run it when they know you're running it and you have to run it. And so, yep. and so, I uh, I lost my train of thought there. And so, while that's a that while that's fine and that's definitely by design, I don't think that's a product of poor receiver performance at all. I'm not suggesting that, but they're going to need more than two guys to be able to catch passes in a game. Like it'll help getting Sanders back whenever he is back. But you really need a Demarcus Gregory or a Miles Battle or a Dontario Drummond or preferably two of those guys, particularly the outside guys, because Moore's established himself in the slot to kind of be a more consistent and reliable target for Matt Corral. Because you've seen the rapport developing between Elijah Moore, and I wrote about this on Saturday, developing between Corral and Elijah Moore since the limited action that 
Corral got last year. Ian Moore made a couple catches in a ULM game and a couple of others. You can see their chemistry building. He's definitely the most trusted target. He's a mismatch in the slot. He's very short-handed. He's got great speed. Corral trusts him. I mean, you ever see when Corral's in doubt, that's where he's going with the ball, which is fine, but he's not the biggest target in the world, and so it's not one of those things where you're going to be like, hey, go get the ball if I throw it up. So they need one of these bigger body guys on the outside to kind of gain Corral's trust, and that's a two-way street as well. I'm not just saying it's all on the receivers, but you need a Drummond, you need a Gregory, or you need a Miles Battle to kind of, I mean, it's so cliche to say take the next step, but you need someone to be more reliable. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's not a ton of production outside of a more receiver right now. Someone's going to have to step up because, look, I think when they play better teams like Cal and, uh, you know, a Missouri or a Mississippi State, they're good enough to take Elijah Moore away if he's your only dude. Uh, so you better find somebody else in that position that can go make plays. And I think that person is Braylon Sanders. He's got to get healthy. But for right now, Ole Miss needs another person at, at that position to uh, step up. So if you're looking for something that this week, that, that's probably the, the thing I'd be looking for. Is I don't think Elijah Moore is going to play a whole lot after Ole Miss gets up 30 points. You got to find somebody else to go make plays, and I think they'll make an, They'll put an emphasis on uh, on doing that this week. Yeah, because that's what other teams are going to do, particularly when they start playing better defenses. They're going to take more away in the slot, and not that that's easy to do. But I would common knowledge would tell you that maybe is a little easier than just taking a guy who's physically big, a DK Metcalf or an AJ Brown yeah. who you can double cover and he can still just kind of physically bully you. Moore's not that type of receiver. And so while it may not be easy to take away, in the slot it's a little different animal. And so they need, so they need a threat on the outside, and they don't have that right now. Nope. Yep, they got, they got to find somebody that can go make plays. And you look at a guy like Demarcus Gregory or, or Jonathan Mingo, Ontario Drummond. I'm, I'm trying to think it's the Miles Battle maybe. I mean, they, they got to find somebody. They're, there's a bunch of talented dudes in that room. Um, somebody's got to go make plays. Or it, it, it's got a chance to get bad if Elijah Moore is the only receiver you can count on with Braylon Sanders out. Uh, hamstrings linger, man. So somebody out of that group I mentioned has got to figure out a way to go make plays or Ole Miss is going to be up the creek a little bit. We talked to Jeff Koontz, uh, inside linebackers coach, after practice yesterday. He kind of talked about, I mean, he, obviously the big story was he hit on the loss of Muhammad Sanogo. How they replace them, uh, how he replaces them there. There's really no replacing Mohamed Sanogo. It's just trying to minimize the effects of his loss and the absence that, like, basically making sure his absence isn't felt as much as one would think. And I asked Mike McIntyre on Monday if they're moving anybody. He said no. They feel okay about the depth they have there. So I think you're going to see just kind of similar to what you've been seeing, where it's a lot of Jacquez Jones, it's a lot of Dante Evans. Willie Hibbler rotates. He's technically Lakia Henry's back up at the Jack linebacker spot, but he'll play some Mike as well. But they're both responsible for getting calls and getting checks and getting guys lined up correctly. While Mohamed Sanogo kind of took the lead on that and was the cliched quarterback of the defense, it sounds like it's going to fall more equally on both whoever the Mike and the Jack linebacker are in the game to get people lined up because Coons mentioned, he said, you know, after Sanogo went out, we did miss a couple of those. And it wasn't anything bad or anything major, but like that that can't happen. There can't be really a drop-off in production there. Sonogo obviously officially announces out as 10 weeks. I don't think he plays this year again. I guess there's a window where maybe he plays in a bowl game, maybe he comes back for the Egg Bowl. Neither one of those seem very realistic. There's no reason to announce you're going to redshirt him now, just kind of see how it goes. 
I don't think he plays again in 2019, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a scenario he gets on the field for the Egg Bowl or a bowl game. Uh, and keeps his red shirt, so maybe. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned, but I don't think he plays again in 2019. No, I'm with you. So, tough loss for him. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he was going to have a great year, uh, especially, you know, after last year, he's probably only going to get better and a defense that, you know, schematically sound. So, yeah, that's a tough loss. Bro. I felt terrible for the kid. Um, he seems like a good dude. Was really coming on. Probably going to be, you know, a top SEC linebacker. And to, to have that happen on fun teams is just kind of unfortunate. Yeah, and I talked to – or we talked to Matt Luke on Wednesday, and I'm going to ask about the, the question I've gotten because I wrote about replacing Sonogo on Monday – and one of the main reactions I've gotten is like, well, what's he doing on punt team? Well, I guess that's a fair question, but I noticed that most of the starting defense and Mingo and a couple of the offensive guys make up the punt team. You know, it's a fair question to ask, so I'll ask Matt Luke on Wednesday to see if, what his thoughts are. I don't hate them for having their best special teams players on punt cover. It'd be maybe a little different on kickoff. But I don't necessarily blame them for that. But at the same time, if you lose another starter on a damn punt cover, like you got to probably start thinking about reevaluating things. So I'll at least ask that because it sounds like people want an answer to it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see question. on that. Yeah, I mean it's fine, but I'm not gonna. I don't. I'm I, at the same time, it's probably a fair question. But at the same time, I don't, I understand it. I'm not necessarily gonna beat up the staff for it. No, I don't think it's. I don't think what they're doing and putting starters on special things is necessarily a bad idea. I just kind of would be interested in their thought process and how they kind of gauge it. Yes, especially since the injury, more so than why was Sonogo right. out there. Does it change your thinking at all with anything now? Yeah, and it sucks you can't because he's not – I mean, I don't really know who runs the special teams. I think I do. Um, it'd be nice to ask him because I'm sure he's, you know, over all of that. But uh, I'm sure Matt will give an insightful answer. Yeah, and so I don't know. He may give one of those where he's very good at like giving you a very thoughtful like if he doesn't want to answer a question he's very good at looking you in the eye and he'll give you a thoughtful response and then when you go back and listen you're like wait a minute he didn't answer it at all that was pretty slick. How uh how has Matt ever gotten like mad at a media question? I can't recall over three years him getting upset with a question. No, not at all. He's as easy as you could possibly to deal with, and that's why I enjoy him so much in that sense. Is he's never gotten mad, and what was telling was during the 17 year. Where you had the summer of freeze and all of that, and he was thrown into the interim thing. There were some. T- they finished that year strong, and so people don't remember it as a bad year. Oh, yeah. But there were some times when they blew the Arkansas game, and Shea Patterson got hurt. Like that was. There were some bad times in that season. The sixty-six to three. Like think, but the early part of that season did not go well at all. Like Patterson was getting beat up. They really they only beat Vanderbilt team, who was not very good that year. You know, he gets hurt in whatever that game was before Arkansas, LSU, I think. LSU. You know, they blow Thomas' first start, and then they kind of rebound with the win at Kentucky in the Egg Bowl a couple weeks later. You know the story, but my point being is there there weren't a lot of good things happening the first couple months of that season, and he didn't blow up on us one time. He, he didn't, you know, he got peppered with questions about the NCAA, about his former boss, about everything under the sun with regards to what was bad with the program because the microscope Ole Miss was under and the scrutiny they were under in 2017 was still a lot more intense than it is now. And he never blew up. He was as polite as he could be. 
you know, towards the end of the year, it's probably a little easier to be that way. But I figured once he never really lost his cool or anything with regards to that, that he was going to be a much more pleasant guy to deal with than his predecessor. It's, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Hugh Freeze would call media members and question their core values and everything if they asked a question he didn't like. And I'm not kidding, that happened multiple times. Oh, I know. And so... <laughs> It it yeah. So he's no, not doing that. No, he does not. He does not. I mean, there's you can tell like you can tell in subtle things sometimes where he thinks a bit question's a bad question or he doesn't like it, but he, ne- he never even has gotten much as like a little snappy, which like you know that's called a Monday for Mike Bianco. But in, that's another story <laughs> for another day. Bianco just answers all the questions in snappy mode. Basically, Bianco's Bianco's normal default mode is ten times madder than I've ever seen Matt Luke. I guess. Uh, Real quick, uh, they, they signed the number two recruiting class over there again. So they're going to PR the hell out of that. Yeah, they are. But good on them with 11.5. Still an accomplishment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Now, it helps with, you know, two guys that aren't on scholarship being top 200 players. That certainly helps. Yep, that is uh, that is very true. So, I don't know. It's August. We'll get into real quick. They need to make, and I'm not going to expound on baseball real a, a lot in September of, of 2019. But they need to make the postseason this year. That's that's why they struggled, and I think that's what led to you know some failure in 2018. That young group needs to make the postseason this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. It would be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I uh, I saw Gray Kessinger in the Grove over the weekend, so my girlfriend's parents were in town and they were having like a big tailgate or something. I don't really screw with the Grove because Saturdays are work days for me now and I know that sounds like a hard-o answer but really it just comes down to as simple as particularly early in the year, it's so damn hot that if I ever go try to see my family or say hello to anyone in the Grove I'm sweating bullets by the time I'm getting to the stadium and then I like smell weird and it's just not a good situation so I just don't screw with it. I go to the game I work the game and I come home but I had to go to the Grove for a minute to, you know Say hello and kiss babies and all that junk. I say junk. It was very pleasant. They had a nice tailgate. I'm just kind of being an ass. But anyway, I saw great, great. I was looking. I was sitting there trying to stay cool, sitting by a fan. But and I, uh, I look up and like someone tapped me on the shoulder and it was great. He was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" I was like, "Hey, what's up?" Like he's like, "How you been?" I was like, "Good." I don't have seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. How have you been? I like I didn't say. Obviously, I didn't say that. But like. My life's the same, man. Like, actually, how have you been? Anyway, we, Nobody cares about my life. Exactly. But he was incredibly nice. He, I think they had just finished up. I asked him a little bit about getting to play Dillard. But it was good to see him. He's always been pleasant. I enjoyed seeing Gray again. But my, I guess what I was getting at there is it'll be interesting. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the Oxford core that came through. But it'll be kind of interesting if this group of kind of out-of-staters and other collection of guys are able to break down the door. When maybe they don't have the burden and the expectations of these guys that you know these homegrown local kids had. Yeah, no, that's certainly. Fair. I don't know about expectations; you know, is more of a burden because they 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 feel it and they're familiar and they're kind of homegrown. It's it's not expectations; these kids still have high expectations. It's more so the burden. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good way to phrase it. They're they're not the Oxford, you know. I guess they came in as the Oxford four that, you know, everybody knows, everybody's looking at to, to get them back to the College World Series, and so they're not going to have that, you know, hanging cloud over them, I don't think. Um, so, but like I said, this, this team needs to make the postseason, and I think they will. I think they're closer to hosting than they are to, and I, again, I don't want to get too far off into baseball in September. I think they're closer to hosting than I do think they're uh, than they are to missing the tournament. 
I think eventually they're a two seed in, in, in our NCAA regional. But, yes, number two recruiting class in the country, I think behind Vanderbilt, who signed another miraculous class with 42 scholarships. So good on them, too. Yep. The uh, engine that could, or whatever Neil says. So, <laughs> I guess in closing, Antonio Brown is back in the news again, and it has nothing to do with football. So he signed with hey. the New England Patriots over this uh, over the weekend. We hit a little bit of that on Monday, I think. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I don't think he was. Or- I think he may have wanted to be in New England the whole time. I don't know if Belichick had anything to do with it, but he is now being accused of sexual assault against a woman he knew from college and hired to be his trainer. It sounds like I haven't read the lawsuit. Have you read the text message? I've read email? excerpts, but I don't want to like get into this too heavy judgment thing until I read the actual lawsuit, and I may not at all because that doesn't sound like a ton of fun. But if you're gonna, I feel like if you're gonna make big sweeping judgments on it, you need to read the lawsuit, which like I would say one of the people spouting opinions on the internet did actually did. So my thing here, I guess, is what I'll, I'll get at is not to be like false accusations guy. But if I'm, I'm saying, like, there's two interesting pieces of this is that she filed a civil suit instead of going to local authorities. So she wants to be monetarily compensated before any sort of other procedural justice. There's plenty of reasons for that. I'm not saying that's like something that makes it fake or that's a, a, a for sure money grab. It's just interesting to point out. And the timing of it is very, very, very peculiar. Yeah, I'll listen to the timing of the, the civil part is just, I think, the, the burden of proof is a lot less. Uh, in a civil court than it is a criminal one. Sure, but you can I, do both. Do what? You can file in both. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm yeah, I, I know, but the, the burden of proof in one is, is a lot less uh, to me. The timing, sure, it, it's, I don't want to say interesting, it, it's definitely something discussable. I don't know. The, those, those emails that he sent are a very, very bad look uh, to, his, to his guilt. I don't not going to sit here and say he did it or didn't do it. I'm just saying if you read those emails and what he said, uh, not a great look. Not a great look at all. No, and I'm not being false accusations. This is a hoax guy. I'm not. I don't know. And But I think that's probably the important thing here is whenever stuff like this comes out, you know, the commenters and internet people of the world or whatever just kind of rush and like, oh, he did it or he didn't do it. It's like, actually... You know, the way this whole deal is set up is, like, actually you don't know until it's proven, and you also don't know if he's innocent until it's proven. So, like, just let it play out. There's so much more that has to play out here. Well, because they're going to talk to a lot of people. They're probably going to get to depose people they may not necessarily get on a witness stand in a criminal proceedings. They'll probably be able to get to depose people that they would never extract information they may not be able to get in a criminal court of law, which might be part of the reason that they went with the civil suit. So, like... There's a lot more stuff that's going to come out. There's a lot more people involved in this that are going to talk. So let's just see what happens first, because I don't think you. I think you've scratched the surface of the information that is going to ooze out of this. So I get what you're saying about you know, hey, he's innocent until proven guilty. That's the only place that really applies though is a courtroom, though, right? I mean, you get arrested for murder nowadays, you might as well be guilty, um, according to social media. So I, I, I get. What I think you're that's saying. kind of my point, though. I'm not Do saying, I? but I said I said vice versa. It works the other way too. I'm not. I'm saying I'm not saying he's innocent until proven guilty. Like I'm not saying, like in the court of public perception, which doesn't matter at all in the end. I'm not well, saying sure. that's the way that should be the case. I'm just saying it works both ways. You know, we, I don't know what he is, and so like I think determining one way or another or taking a stance at this point is probably foolish. 
Does he play Sunday for the Patriots? No, I don't think. He probably goes on the commissioner exempt list. I don't think the NFL allows it to happen. Yeah, no, they're not going to allow it to happen. He's only under a one-year contract. They'll pay him his money because they can't technically suspend him, I don't think. Um, and I don't know. Does he play another NFL snap? If this turns out to be a money grab and a hoax, yes. If it doesn't, no. Yeah, if, if this is real, and look, uh, false accusations are very rare. I'll just put it like that. Um, I think they make up about 8% of accusations. So they're very rare. Um, if this is real, it, it, this is over. Uh, I mean, you can't have that dude on your team. Uh, first of all, I don't know if I want that dude on my team to begin with. Uh, and then after this, I just, it, good God, no, um, if, if this turns out to be accurate. Well, yeah, that's why I think it's probably as simple as that in terms of him playing another NFL game. If it's fake, then he probably if he proves that and he's, I don't, it's not exonerated. I don't know what the civil term is, but you know, if 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 the suit flops or whatever, then he probably does. And if it doesn't, he he doesn't play again and shouldn't ever play again. I think it's probably that simple. Yeah, no, uh, if if it if it's true, he should be in prison. But you know, that's another story for another day. Yeah, so that's about all I got today. I think, I mean, with a little bit of yeah, stuff. broke his kneecap. Oh, yeah, that, that sucks because I didn't necessarily think the Brewers were going to make the postseason anyway, but at the same time, the Cubs threw up on themselves in San Diego last night. On the night that Christian Yelich goes down, they're one back in the wild card. The Cubs are infuriating, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're very bad away from home and really good at home. I'll tell you what, though. It sucks that uh, – I, no, I say it sucks. Until the – Diamondbacks ran into the Mets here and have had such yeah. a bad couple of days. They were really in this thing. Yep. With Tori Lavello was, was one hell of a baseball coach. So Nice man, not, too. Do what? Nice man, too. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, not shocked at all they were in this. Uh, they're, they're not a very talented baseball team. People don't talk about him because it's not a large market and he's not going to win the MVP. He's not even going to finish top three. Cattell Marte's a stud, man. He plays three premier positions. He got a 980 OPS. He's a great defender. Um, I mean, he's just a monster, and nobody talks about him. Yeah, they're still technically in it because they're oh, th- sure. they're three back, but not really. Like if they if they had won last problem. night and they had stayed two back, and then you have kind of the Brewers without Yelich, and I don't really trust the Phillies at all. I wouldn't make an argument against them. I guess I still technically won't, but tough hill to climb with 16 games to go. Yeah, no, I don't. I think I think the. I mean, I'll give MLB predictions right now. Wednesday of FCS week, who cares? Uh, the, the the Cardinals are, are going to win the Central. The uh, Cubs and Nats are going to be in the wild card. Braves and Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers are going to win the NL pretty easily. I think the Astros actually wind up winning the AL pretty easily. I do too, but the one anomaly here that no one's talking about is the bashing the hell out of the baseball Minnesota Twins. They do just hit homers. I respect it. And they lost. They lost. What's his face? Pineda. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who? I mean, that. He's not a huge deal, but I mean, he was a starting pitcher. And on a team that, that that's uh, you talk about an Achilles heel, they may not have enough of it get to get through a postseason. Right. Look, they're the one anomaly here because if they meet whoever in a five game series, and just bash the hell out of the ball. There's not a whole lot you could do. Like, there's a way they could just blow through a five-game series no matter who they play. I don't think they're as talented as the as the Yankees or Astros, but they're the really kind of anomaly here. I don't know what to expect. It wouldn't shock me if they upset one of these two teams just because they had a ridiculous three, four games at the plate. 
Yeah, no, I, I, that's certainly fair. They probably uh, make it. They make the watch. AL more fascinating. Like, like when you're talking, because I don't know. I mean, the A's and the Rays are both really good clubs in terms of winning. I'm not sure they have the horsepower to get past the Yankees or the uh, or the Astros. But I think the Twins make this a lot more interesting. If I tell you what, if the Indians get Kluber back, and reports are that I think they will, that's a nightmare in the postseason for somebody to deal with too. AL is a lot more interesting than the NL postseason was. Yeah, the the Dodgers are going to win that. I think the Dodgers lose maybe two games before they win the pennant. Two games is probably my number. I got a They're hot so take. Much better. The biggest threat to the Dodgers, and it's not necessarily that big of a threat because I think they're going to roll through too, is Washington. Yes, because it's a five game series. You're going to get Strasburg, twice, and uh, Scherzer. So, yep. Yes. I think they're a bigger threat than the Braves or the Cardinals or the Cubs. Do what? I think they're a bigger threat to the Dodgers than the oh, Braves, Cardinals, or Cubs. Because you're getting them in a five-game series. Look, the Braves are going to be – the Braves are really good. They're a really good baseball team. They might win 100 games last time I looked. Um, but I don't think the starting pitching is enough to go out and beat L.A. in a seven-game series. If the Braves were playing L.A. in a five-game series, I'd be all ears. In the seven-game series where you're getting – Ryu, Kershaw, and Bueller twice? I don't know, man. That's that's tough for anybody. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to playoff baseball. We're about three weeks away from it. I guess a little less than that. Yeah, right at three weeks. A little less. So that'll be interesting. That's about all I got today. I'm going to get Andrew on the phone. So this is going to be a little different today because of the timing of it. I'll have Andrew, and we'll just end the podcast there. So if you want this Andrew Stevens interview, just keep listening. But, like, there will be no... Mailbag Friday teasers, immature jokes, anything like that when the Stevens interview is over with. So you're telling people that you're going to sign off right now? Yes. we're. Oh, no. We're signing off after the Andrew Stevens interview. So when I say, oh, okay. see you, Andrew, the podcast is over. So you're going to kick me off and then go talk to Andrew. That is correct. And then when I'm, talking to, when I'm done talking to Andrew, I'm kicking the audience off, and it'll just be me on this mountain. So wait, do you just talk like to the mic for, for five minutes and, and get your thoughts in that you forgot on the podcast? That is correct. So... That is how this is going to go today. So anyway, I guess I'll go ahead and remind you now. I'll remind you after the Andrew Stevens interview again. Mailbag Friday, get your questions in. Uh, tweet me, text me. If you don't have my number, ask Bumble Guy for it. Yeah, ask Bumble. So, yeah, so ask the Bumble review. Rate and review the podcast. Uh, we got. I don't know how you're going to top that review, but if you do, please give us five stars. Some asshole gave us one star the other day. And yeah, I'm going to fight that guy. Yeah, so please give us five stars. You can say whatever you want about me. Uh, if I was nice or not nice to you on a dating app, then go have at it, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, so anyway, here's the Andrew Stevens interview. And we now welcome on Andrew Stevens, our resident degenerate Louisiana friend, college football Louisiana correspondent, uh, deadbeat father to the armchair All-Americans. Whatever other title you want, tall Crocs guy, uh, did I cover it all? Yeah, middle school athletic director. Um, really just running running the gambit of uh, lower-tiered Louisiana sports over here. Yeah, so we, we hit on that a little bit because – so normally I, like, record these interviews and then me and Colin do, like, the main – you know, not meat of the podcast, but, like, the intro and all that junk – and then we have you, and then we have like you or whoever guests on. But today was a little different because you got caught into some meeting, and we we're talking about middle school athletic directors. Do you have you had to fire anyone yet? I haven't had to fire anybody, but I have. Uh, so I went to Nashville um, for the Georgia Vandy game, and I 
like an idiot, brought out my entire set of keys. And if you can anticipate what a middle school athletic director set of keys would look like, it's basically the same thing as what a middle school janitor's set of keys would look like. And so closets that I will never access and, and things like that. So I am still uh, operating under the procrastination mindset of not telling my boss that I was irresponsible and lost my keys and hopefully uh, lie about it until it gets much, much, much inevitably worse. Hopefully your boss doesn't listen to this. I, I, I don't think they even pay attention with the, to LSU football, so I think Ole Miss football is le- relatively low on the, uh, on the totem pole. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, and it's—I guess that's not one of those things where you just make a couple copies of replaced keys and it's over with. Like that—that that would that'd be like putting together the pieces of a shattered window. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very much trying to get the liquor back into the bottle type of situation. Um, definitely going to try and deal with the receptionist and not with the principal because um, that's the problem. Is I'm, I, I'd like to consider myself generally responsible. I haven't lost a phone or a keys or wallet or anything. Um, and uh, six weeks into this job, I go to lovely Bachelorette Paradise and uh, lose every every all forty seven keys that they have uh, put in my trust. Yeah, I'm generally responsible with like phone keys, wallet, and all that. I have lost a phone, so actually the one or two Athens trips I went on before we knew each other is the very beginning of sophomore year, and Ole Miss played Boise on a Thursday night to I think like open the season in Atlanta. We went to Athens for Georgia Clemson the next weekend. And I lost my phone in a cab on that Friday night, and it was one of those nights, I'll just admit it, I didn't even really know I'd been in a cab to get home type of deals, and so I didn't even really begin to know where to look. And then Sunday, or Saturday night, like 7 o'clock, I had pretty much decided the phone was gone. You know, when you lose your phone and you're on a trip or whatever, it's honestly kind of nice after a while. You're like, I don't have to worry about anything. Like, I, no one oh, could contact oh, me. Because, especially because it, it, you're typically out drinking. And so when I – so we were we, – we had decided to stay in Nashville for that Sunday. We were planning on going back, but since it was Labor Day, we're like, whatever. We had a, one of my buddies, his parents lived there, so we were going to – we left the hotel. We are going to stay with them. Actually, I have a funny story about this. So I lost my I lost my car keys as well. They were all just on one big key ring. And so we were staying at a hotel in Nashville, and then we went and stayed at my buddy's parents' house, um, which was in Brentwood, a little bit further out. And so um, I called the whatever. I, I'm actually not going to uh, implicate any key uh, entry places in Nashville, but I called this, this whatever keyless entry place and say, hey, Lost my car keys last night. What can y'all do? The dealership's closed. It's Labor Day. So they say, hey, meet us at your car at 1030. I give them the, the, the hotel address. This guy meets me at the car, and I confirm that – well, actually, this is, I don't confirm anything with him. So he walks up, and he says, is this your car? I say, yes. Um, he pops out. Apparently, on the, the driver's side door, you can pop out if you were to have a manual key entry. That's sort of where they, they, they pop that thing out and they can create a new key off of that. And he pops that out, goes into his little into his little van, makes the new key for me, reprograms it on the ignition and sets me off good to go. I pay two hundred and thirty dollars or whatever. And he didn't check my ID, he did not check the title on the car, he did not check the insurance. You could have driven I could have said any car in that parking lot was mine and he was prepared to walk up and do that exact same thing to any of them. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it was 
one of the easiest processes that I've ever had, but that is why I will not be revealing or implicating the name of this wonderful company because snitches. But it was unbelievable. <laughs> Wait, so hold on. How did you start the car if you didn't have the key? No, no, no. So, so he made me a new key there. Okay, okay, I see. So he, met, he this is like a keyless entry place where they make you new keys. Like a, it's like a advanced pop a lock or whatever. So he made. He took the little manual key entry where you would open your car up on the driver's side, made me a brand new key, and then gave me the key to the car that he had just made, and I drove off, no questions asked. It could have been anyone's car. I know that's not a job you probably go to college to do, but it'd be kind of a badass feeling walking down the street every day knowing you could steal any car on the street you wanted to with no issue. Dude, he was like a he was a middle aged Russian man and I was like this I have I have never trusted anyone to do anything more than I trust this man to create a key that will allow me to get home. But he, he, he has obviously he has he has the he has the skill set here. So in reality, if that guy's walking down the streets of Nashville just you know car. a couple beers in, he could just point at a car and be like, Hey, I could steal that. Like he could yeah. probably impress a chick doing that. With, with, I mean, with so much as stuff that you could keep in a normal sized toolbox, it appeared that he could steal any car in the world. <laughs> That's, that is wild. So my story in Athens had a little bit less of a, a wilder ending than that. I uh, actually found the cab driver found it wedged in between the third seat and called me, informed me I had taken his cab home the night before and was mildly well-behaved, and then I met him in the middle of downtown Athens. He gave me my phone back, and I had the, my phone the rest of that night. <laughs> so the, uh, That was probably that was in the middle of the cab driver versus Uber uh, mid-teens warfare in Athens. Yeah, Oxford had the same thing, and the city, like, backed up. The city backed the cab drivers for a while, and then basically they just there was nothing they could do. Uber, Uber, no, Uber. because in Athens it used to basically be. I mean, for those that have have ever been, it's basically downtown's kind of on top of a little bit of a hill, and it's like a four by six block, and then campus and kind of all the residential stuff around there is kind of down the hills on on either side. So most people don't live all that far from downtown, and when you leave downtown, it's a downhill walk, and so you live with less than a mile. It's really easy to get home. But cabs are like five dollars per person, no matter what. It was like cash only, five bucks. You have to get in. So if you if you lived with five other people and y'all were taking a cab to your house half a mile away, twenty five dollars. And so they got like the moment Uber came in, people were like, "We are absolutely no longer dealing with this." That's weird. So Oxford, in some ways, was kind of the opposite because Oxford, it was like kind of the same thing. Where it was like five bucks a person. So if you're in a big group, it's kind of a scam like that. But Uber in a small town like Oxford would surge the hell out of you. And so if you're taking a cab with like one or two people by yourself, it almost sometimes became easier to do the cab because it would just be sitting on the square. You'd hand the guy a 10 spot for you and whoever you're with to go home versus Uber is like, yeah, I'm taking you half a mile. The surge is seven times because we just played Alabama or whatever. So that'll be 38 bucks. Oh my God! The game—I mean, game days is almost—and that's you're just paying to sit in traffic with somebody. I mean, I, living in Baton Rouge now, I live like two miles off of campus, and I mean, it's in like a a neighborhood where, like, it's not a college area by any means. Um, but I'm biking to every single game this year. I mean, I'm not thinking about because they set up contraflow. I mean, it is complete. And, I mean, typical Baton Rouge legislation and Baton Rouge infrastructure, 
Um, ContraFlow is not set up the same every week. I mean, bigger games and smaller games, they block off certain areas as opposed to others for different amounts. I mean, it is just that Oxford's probably worse and it's a little bit smaller, but just absolutely hellacious. Oh, it's, it's awful. It's awful. So that might be a good place to start. Two weeks in, LSU, we were talking about we were making fun of the 19th year in a row where they're going to open up and run the spread. They opened it up and ran the spread. I'm, I really don't want to, uh, I don't want to poo-poo it by Big 12 defensing it, especially as a Georgia grad. Um, I think we saw Big 12 defense a little bit in the Sugar Bowl last year. Um, but I, I have, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like there are some games where you will have good defenses that will have the propensity to just get gassed based on how quick the tempo of a game is going. And so, like, I remember, like, 2014, they had that shootout in the uh, in the Iron Bowl where Auburn put up, like, 45 on Bama. I think you have some of these games where you'll have solid defenses, but the momentum and the tempo of the game – starts to get going so high that you just can't end up having like I think that uh that Ole Miss Bama game where the tip pass and all the craziness like those were two pretty good defenses but you end up with 70 80 points just because of almost the atmosphere and way that the game is going yeah no I agree so I agree with you what you're saying as far as like it's a big 12 defense obviously Texas is very good and like that's a top tier big 12 team how good their defense is I don't know but it's it's just the like I think people if there is an overreaction to be had here, I think it's based on the sheer shock value of LSU lining up this many receivers and completing passes of like 10 or more yards down the field. Like Burrow was throwing a couple, like he threw a couple strikes that resulted in touchdowns. Like you don't see that from a quarterback wearing yellow pants. No, and and I think people, I, in, in typical Baton Rouge fashion, I think that people have, I guess this is where I'm trying to quell expectations a little bit because after hearing something for legitimately 19 straight years and it not coming to fruition, the moment that it does come to fruition, you think it's the greatest thing that has ever happened. And so I feel like I've I've spent the last like four days just trying to be like, all right, the LSU offense and Joe Brady might be revitalizing the game of college football like they seem to say there is a good chance that you just beat the shit out of a bad Georgia Southern team, and then you beat a solid but not great Texas defense. And I don't want to poo-poo 470 yards or anything but, like that, but there are there is already in Baton Rouge like Bama, like Bama talk how it's different this year. And it's like, I mean, I know I was very, I'll believe it when I see it with the spread offense, but I'm, I'm still going believe it when I see it on – you going into Tuscaloosa and beating Nick Saban. So as soon as you said that, I pulled up LSU's schedule and to see, like, where is there a prove-it moment before you get to Alabama? And it's interesting because they're going to beat the hell out of all these teams then coming up. It's Northwestern State, Vandy, and Utah State, who has a pretty good football team or had last year, but obviously that different different level. But it's interesting because I think they get a bye before Bama again. No, they Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. But the three games leading into Alabama – Florida, Mississippi State, and Auburn. And two of those are at home. So you go Florida and then at State and then Auburn. 
that's probably when you know it because State doesn't have the number one defense in college football anymore, but it's still probably a top 20. Florida's got athletes that defensive line is nasty, and Auburn's defense looks pretty good. I don't know about the quarterback thing, but if they roll through that three-game stretch leading into Alabama and say they score 25 to 30 points in all of it, I'll probably be a little more sold on the offensive part. Yeah, and I think that that'll give the ability. I mean, you have you still have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who is a very solid running back, but I think John Emery is going to end up being, I think he's the most talented back in that backfield. So allowing a little bit more time for a freshman to get to develop, get a little bit more carries, get, get a little bit more comfortable. And I think these next three weeks will be extremely pivotal in sort of those tune-up games before SEC play. Because, I mean, it, in very typical SEC fashion, those Florida and Auburn games, one of them is going to end up just being some sort of weird, unpredictable unbelievable canceled hurricane bobbled snap fake field goal tossed over the head something wild is going to happen i feel like in one of those two games and so lsu they're in a position right now to where i've i've introduced and and i would love to get your thoughts the chaos theory of of the sec which is going to end up with an 11-1, and 12-1, 13-0 combination of Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. And watching the college football playoff committee have to wrestle with that in some capacity, especially with teams like Michigan playing like shit up until now, the Pac-12 basically self-immolating, except for maybe USC, but there's no way to continue. And the Big 12 looks, I mean, a little bit shaky. You basically are just banking on Oklahoma. Um, and so I, I think this sets up for an extremely fun potential SEC chaos theory for the, the playoff selection committee. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And so I'll take it even a step further is that's chaotic. What happens out of those three teams? I don't think Auburn's necessarily good enough to be put in this conversation, but they do play all three of these teams. And does Auburn get Georgia and Alabama at home? Auburn is – it's at Auburn, yeah. So – what happens if all these three of these teams end up looking like playoff teams, like you said, but Auburn is the pest at eight and four, but picks one of them off? What does that do? Like See, that's that's going to be the one where Auburn. I mean, I I think people like the uh, the Banner Society and other places have it well more well documented, but the pivotal nature in which Auburn plays on the college football playoff every single year is oh, even the BCS too is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, whether it's the 04 getting left out or 10 with Cam or 13 with the most insane year in college football or even 17 where you beat Georgia and Bama. I mean, it seems like something is always going unpredictably on the planes. And so it would be the most typical, it would be the most typical Auburn game of all time to go nine and three end up. And so I guess, I guess this is my question here. Gus has to win one of those games to keep his job, though, right? Because I don't think going like that, I think that would be worst case scenario for Auburn fans. Because I think for the most part, a lot of them think that he doesn't really have what it takes to get to that next step, sort of like the, the Mark Rick or the Les Miles or whatever. I think they're kind of moving into that, that feel with Gus. Because if they go 9-3 and three with losses to Georgia, LSU, and Bama, I think that's going to be worst-case scenario because it's, all right, 
we are good enough and we are relevant enough. We're going to be ranked number 14 at the end of the season or whatever. But we view ourselves and we pay and we recruit on par with these other teams. Why are we not having the results of these other teams? Yeah, and if he beats one of them, that's a hell of a selling point with that freshman quarterback going into next year where, hey, we picked off one of them, we're close. Their schedule is wild to me because they – I don't know how in the world this got set up the way it was, but they got the Kent State deal, and then they go at State – I mean, at A&M, State at home, and then they go – this is wild – at Florida, at Arkansas, at LSU, three games in a row, and then they don't play another road game the rest of the year. They close with Ole Miss, Georgia, Sanford, and Bama at home. They don't leave home the entire month of November. I don't under there's. I feel like there's always one or two scheduling anomalies every year. Whether it's like, like I feel like Bama raised a huge point a couple of years ago because it was like, oh shit, Bama plays six teams in a row coming off the of bye week or something like that. Like I feel like there's always one team that is just like how. How there are fourteen games or fourteen teams off to schedule for? How is one of them like this disadvantage? Uh, Ole Miss got. I don't know about. I don't know in this case it was disadvantage, but my freshman year of college. I want to make sure this is correct. Ole Miss had, yeah, six home games in a row with a bye week sandwiched in. What? <laughs> yeah. From October 12th to November 23rd, they did not leave home. <laughs> they had six that home is, games in a row with a bye week in the middle. That is unbelievable. That, like, How that, does that happen? You know, that's, that is exhausting for your – like fan bases have to hate that, especially with like Ole Miss people coming up from South Mississippi or coming down from Memphis or whatever. Like You can generally plan games if they're two and three weeks apart, but when you're – Back-to-back-to-back-to-back. You're probably not going to Oxford every single weekend. No, I think it was one of those things where that when people saw the schedule, they're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then you got two weeks in, and you're like, oh, there's four more of these. Actually, this sucks. Yeah, and it's like I have developed a serious drinking problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like six weekends in a row. Like, you need some balancing out. You need a weekend. Like If you're a fan watching college football and you go to most of the home games, like you need a balancing out weekend where you have the weekends at home where you're just grilling and watching on television, then the big weekends where you travel to the game. Like Six in a row getting it all knocked out at once and then coming back for the Egg Bowl. Like, no thank you. No, and you, you and, and I mean, especially if you're, if you enjoy just college football on the aggregate, I mean, like last weekend, I, I wanted to do nothing, but I went out and watched the LSU-Texas game with some friends, but for six hours in the morning, I did nothing but sit around and generally just, like, if, if you don't want, like, if you're either, and I found this out sort of when I covered the team for two years, but, like, you're either working on your game or, or dealing with that, you do that three or four weeks in a row, and it's like, shit, I... I have no idea what's going on this season. Or like I, there, there's a, there's a guy who's fifth in the Heisman standings right now, and I've never even heard of him. Yeah, that's what's annoying. And from from my perspective, and you experience that too, as you mentioned, is like unless I get an 11 a.m. game, I'm not watching much college football. I'm yeah. just, I'm just not because the post game. I say it's gotten so slow. It may have always been this way, but college football games are so long now. Like last week, six o'clock kickoff. I got home at one in the morning. Like six thirty kickoff, so like, and and I granted I got to watch a little bit of the eleven a.m. games at the house and a little bit of the early afternoon games before I went to the stadium, but like that's not necessarily the same of it's kind of relaxing and watching it, knowing you don't have anything left to do today. So like, unless I get an eleven a.m. kickoff, 
I don't. There's no watching college football really, other than small pockets on your computer while you're working or doing something else. Like you, you, you don't see a whole lot of stuff, and so you don't feel informed. I know, and then especially from like your perspective, if if you get off and it's six thirty and it's a home game or whatever, then you're finally like, all right. I'm in Oxford on a game day or something. Let me go out and do something. Maybe I don't necessarily just want to sit at home and twiddle my thumbs and watch college football. And so it is one of those situations where there are at least, like, when when the schedule comes out every year, I feel like I need to, to block off, like, three or four weekends where it's like, all right, I can do nothing, take my pants off, cook some food, and watch football all day. That's turned into Sunday for me. It's like Sunday, I'll get up and I'll write a little something in the morning. But basically from 11 a.m. on, I might as well turn my phone off because it's 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 seven hours of red zone and then the Sunday night game and then going to sleep. And no yeah. pants, no leaving the house, like just nothing. Like I just pretty much hor- walled horrible up. Horrible bats and fantasy selections that I'm chastising myself for. Correct. Five screens. Keep it up with fantasy matchups, wagers, whatever. It's just that's all that that is what that day is dedicated to, and it is glorious. It's kind of made me more of an NFL fan the last few years. But so transitioning on the other side of that, what is Georgia like? What is the Georgia pulse of what LSU is doing? Because that probably could end up affecting them. I, I mean, at this point, anytime I open my mouth about Georgia, someone just talks about the game last year, and so. I'm in this uh, constant state of my, uh, my 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 free free speech is being suppressed down here. I'm not sure how aware of that uh, people are, but we I, I would say that Georgia fans and LSU fans are relatively indifferent about each other. Like I don't know, it it's kind of like breaking up with a girl. And I know LSU and Georgia didn't necessarily date by any means, but like it's kind of like breaking up with a girlfriend. And both teams or both people are doing fine. It's like. I, I don't really give a shit what y'all are doing. Y'all don't really give a shit what I'm doing. Let us kind of, like, be separate, and we might see each other down the line. Like, I think LSU realizes that – LSU and Georgia, I'd say the only place that they differ is LSU realizes that their SEC championship is basically played against Bama as opposed to Georgia's, which is played in the SEC championship against presumably Bama. Um, And so I think it's just a little different. And LSU fans, I think, would – take a season of 11-1, and one, even if it meant a loss to Bama just because of the way that the playoff is situated now. And I think Georgia fans kind of recognize the same of, like, if we can go undefeated in the regular season, then we may have a spot. Now, I'll say this. If LSU is 11-1, and one, then Georgia probably won't feel comfortable of their spot guaranteed in the college football playoff if they're playing a 12-0 and Bama in the SEC championship, even if they're 12-0. and um, so I think I, I would say as unfortunate as, as it is, it, it's two schools right now kind of connected by the Bama little brother thread and with Auburn sort of tagging a little bit behind. Um, I think it's just two schools whose seasons are going to be defined by the result against Alabama because they've kind of conquered everything up to that. I mean, Georgia was I mean, eight seconds away or, I guess, an untimed down away from a national championship. LSU has been just about the same. And so I think everything right now is being contextualized in a, all right, this is fine, we should win this game. And this is after Texas for LSU, but I think moving forward it's kind of like, all right, let's get this over with. We understand the real test is at Bama. This is a stupid question to ask through two weeks, but with the injuries Alabama has on the defensive side of the football, particularly at linebacker, and Tua looking a little bit human in the in the Duke game, like it, you haven't seen much. 
and this could change in a month and they could just start steamrolling everyone, but did they feel a little bit more vulnerable than they have in years past where it's just like they're going to demoralize everyone they play until they get to Georgia? They seem a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe? I definitely I definitely get the sense that like this, or, or the way I see it is, I think they are just this stout in their front or their top, let's call it 50, but I think it's where the... the um, Bama's and the Ohio State's of the world, and where I think Georgia is really trying to position themselves, and I think this is why um, they're building up so much depth at the offensive line. They're able to bring in so many people at running back. They're able to bring in so many people in the front seven. It's you're winning a lot of games by wearing teams down, by being better by through players basically fifty through seventy five, or even players let's say fifty through eighty five on uh, basically your scholarship players. So. I think this year Bama is just as just as good and is I mean legitimately probably still the most talented team in the country, but is just as overwhelmingly as good as they've been in the past, probably one through let's say fifty or fifty five. But I think that with some of the injuries that they've had, with some of the success that teams like LSU and Georgia and Clemson have sort of seen pick up in the past couple of recruiting cycles, I think that's where you may see the let's call them second stringers or some of those guys that are typical. I mean, you you know the typical Bama formula. It they're up fourteen three in a game that's in the third quarter. The other team looks like they're driving, and Bama takes a pick six back, or Bama gets a stop and drives down, and then it's twenty one three, and the game's over. And so I think it's those type of players that will come in and just wear down other offenses and defenses that they may not be as stacked at this year, and so. It's one of those situations where they may not be tested there, and they really may. They probably won't be in the regular season of the SEC, but that's one of those. If they want to beat Clemson, if they want to go and beat LSU, Georgia, Auburn, and uh, a playoff team, and then Clemson in what will probably be five games between the start of November and the start of January, um, then I think that might be a little bit tougher. Yeah, and it feels like they that where that fifty through eighty five is hitting them this year's defensive depth because they returned pretty much every piece they had offensively. Their receiving core is still sick. Running backs, they basically I mean, I'm pretty sure they could suit up one of their students and he would gain thirty five, forty pounds and run, you know, a four five, four, four and just bolt through people. Like they just shit out running backs. But is like it, it does this come down to whether Tua's two has taken another step in kind of in his development and become a better and more accurate I guess it's not even necessarily passer, it's sometimes decision maker because he did look vulnerable at times. Granted he had a little bit of an injury in that SEC championship game, but like does that end up being the difference to where they may be a little weaker offensively, they need Tua to be good. I mean, I, I think that for the most part, most of last year was predicated on, to, I, I certainly do not want to say to a masking um, inefficiencies, that, inefficiencies that they've had, but you kind of saw it when teams were able to pin their ears back and really get, Georgia cost two of the Heisman. And I mean, legitimately, if that game had been on, had Jalen Hurts not been there, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that Bama would have lost the SEC championship. He played pretty well against Oklahoma, but I think it's been pretty well documented in the past couple of years. It doesn't matter how good Oklahoma is in the regular season. Their defense in the playoff just doesn't seem to be up to snuff to some ACC and Big Ten and, and SEC elite, if you will. Um, and then in the first couple of games, I mean, they beat Duke 42-3, to so I'm not really going – like, I, I get he started a little bit slow, but I'm not going to view that as big as, as big of an indictment, but – 
I, I will say this. The Tua of, say, mid-October last year is not the same Tua that we've seen over the course of the past five games. And the, over the course of the past five games, he's still been a great quarterback. But I think him being number one clear-cut Heisman quarterback, which he was up until, let's say, week 10 of last year when Kyler really started putting it on, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that he needs to return to that form for Bama to look as dominant as they did last year. It looks like throughout uh, outside of the SEC, Ohio State looks like they're probably pretty primed to go to the playoff. And again, this is two weeks, so you're just making absurd overreactions. But like, who else has like has what it takes? Is so cliched. Who else kind of looks like they could belong on the same field as Alabama, Georgia, Clemson type? Like Oklahoma looked damn good offensively against Houston, who I don't think is any good. And Jalen Hurts, I think, will be pretty good in that offense. But you mentioned the defense. Uh, Justin Fields looks as good as advertised. What like I, I other than Ohio State, I don't know who it is because Michigan looks like they suck and they don't trust Jay Patterson. You might see Dylan McCaffrey if they struggle really badly against Wisconsin for the first couple quarters. You might see him play more because I don't think Hardball trusts him. So who is any good outside of the SEC is essentially what I'm asking. Other than Ohio State because I think they're good. And see, this is the problem, and I think we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but it, it gets kind of boring in college football because it's it's kind of one of those situations where you talk about the NBA for the last let's say, five seasons, and it, you, you get on any podcast that details, all right, who's going to the finals? Well, all right, well, if you say Cavs Warriors, you're just going to be painted in, oh, well, that's uninventive. But it's like, why would I predict anything else? Like, it, it would be dumb to try. I mean, yes, sure, you can create a take and you can go buck a trend, but, I mean, if I'm answering the question honestly, you pretty much just named every title contender. I mean, I, there were some. There was a little bit of Washington and Oregon love, and I know those games were really funky in the way that they lost them. But like, you can't have a one-loss Pac-12 champion. There's just not. There's going to be too many good teams in the SEC for provided something insane happens. But I mean, I, I think you have LSU, you have Georgia, you have Alabama, obviously from the SEC. I don't see Auburn, and I don't see Florida. I don't see A&M, obviously after this loss, they're not going to run the table. Um, and then. I I think that you have Ohio State and you have Clemson. I mean, sure, Michigan can turn the corner. Sure, Wisconsin could. I mean, Wisconsin has outscored their opponent like 130-0 to zero or something up to this point. It's ridiculous. And Penn State looks solid, too. And so I, I'm not ruling them out, but I would say that those teams are closer to the caliber of an Oregon or a, a Auburn or a uh, Florida as opposed to a Georgia, LSU, or Alabama. Um, but I think those three, I, I legitimately think you have six schools right now. I mean, I, Texas has to win out to, to make it. Oregon would have to win out to make it. USC, I mean, they have one loss built in, but I'm not buying that a win over Fresno and then a, a win over, uh, who did they play this past weekend where they had the true freshman start? Who? I can't remember. I can't remember. It wasn't San Diego State beat UCLA. But anyways, two two mediocre wins isn't convincing me that USC is playoff caliber. And so I legitimately think that you're staring at a situation where if LSU or Georgia could be 12-1 and or 11-1 and with one loss to Bama, that has to be just almost by default like a top six team resume-wise for the playoff. Yeah, I think where the lack of where you were just hitting on it a second ago, the lack of intrigue and the boarding – some a lot of it's Bama Clemson fatigue, but what's happened so far this year, and it's still very early, but 
they're not the ACC being a one team league because of what a disaster Florida State is, and they are a disaster. And then the Pac twelve losing to Cal and Auburn. There's no like there's no there's nothing stopping Clemson. So you have one team penciled in. At least one team in the SEC is penciled in, possibly two. And then it's either Ohio State or Oklahoma. Like there's no real intrigue because the Pac twelve sucks and the ACC puts up zero resistance. Yeah, and, and I know that there are people talking about the, the SEC is down this year, yada, yada, yada. I would almost argue that a team, a conference that has six teams in the top 15 is probably stronger than a conference that has one or two teams in the top two or three, and then a bunch of teams just fighting. Like, I, I would say back in like 2015, 2016, you had Bama that was the best team in the country, and then this is sort of after the, the Ole Miss heyday, after the Mississippi State heyday, Georgia wasn't up, LSU was down. And so you had basically like 12 teams that were in like the top 40 in the country, but it was really just Bama and everyone else. And so I think that the reputation of the SEC right now with legitimately three of the best five teams in the country, I don't think there's much arguing that. I think you would say those three teams, Ohio State and Oklahoma, I don't think anyone, or I guess and Clemson, so three of the top six, definitively i don't think anyone's arguing there um and then you have a couple other teams that are still fighting and whatever the hell could happen so i i I would be shocked if there are more than legitimately seven teams right now um that we just named that would end up making even making the playoffs yeah the problem with the sec is is the top of the gap between the top and the bottom of the league has maybe never been wider in the last i don't know i'm not good at gauging because i'm only 24 but like it's been in a long time like Arkansas is horrendous. Arkansas may not win another game. Ole Miss is bad. Kentucky is not great and then lost their quarterback. They're going to be bad. Missouri lost to Wyoming. Like South Carolina looks very bad. Tennessee is atrocious. I I guess we'll end there. We'll start, we'll end here with the dumpster fires. We'll go around to a couple of them real quick. Um, One, I'll start with Ole Miss and get out of the way quickly. They lost to Memphis. The offense, that offensive line in that first half was one of the worst performances I've ever seen. They got a little bit better last week. They're going to be one of those teams I think is not going to have very good results, but they're going to kind of figure it out by the end of the year because that the offense looked better last week and they look like they know what they're doing. Defense looks improved, but they're not going to like they're they're their max ceiling is six wins tops. I think they're in the four or five range just because they lost to Memphis and have no room for error. Arkansas is awful. Uh, I, I, they may not win another game. I know that I, I can't. They play some other team. I think San Jose State or some point at so, something at some point. Who they should be? Yeah, they're gonna. They, they, they play some other garbage non-time. But no, they are. I mean, they, they are they don't horrible. Have an answer at quarterback Chad, Chad Morris just looks. I mean, wholly overwhelmed. Well, he's the only one in the state and the surrounding states and maybe the country that thought Ben Hicks was better than Nick Starkle because when they went to Starkle after halftime, it wasn't much better. But he at least made a few good throws and moved the ball. Hicks was awful. I don't understand. If they, I don't understand. If that. they lose, if they lose a Colorado State this week, they, there is a they may lose ten games. Yeah, they may go two and ten again. I, I think they might. Yeah, I, yeah I, they're awful. I don't know what I, I haven't gotten to watch either of Tennessee's games, but I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't think Pruitt is necessarily a bad football coach, like at least from his pedigree and the, some of the ways recruited. But I don't understand. I don't know how you sell this. I don't know how you talk this away. Like well, what? What? What is? What happened? I'll say this. I think that I think that um, Pruitt is a great. Rec- I think Pruitt is about the lightest version of Kirby you could have in terms of a very solid recruiter, but not the best in-game coach. 
Um, I, I mean, I think Pruitt is, is near incompetent in-game, and the only thing that keeps him mildly re- – and I'm not even going to call this relevant because what they are is, I mean, relevant in the sense that they are being laughed at collectively. Um, but, no, they, they, he can get talent on the field, but I think that this was a lot of, like, Clay Helton's issue is that n- when you have talent, expectations come with it. And I think people saw the recruiting. They saw him go 5-7 and seven last year. And then, I mean, the wheels have just come off. And this could be – I don't think you're going to have guys just end up giving up in the SEC play because you still have college kids that are looking to improve their tape. But I don't think many many teams are going to love being one and seven in the middle of the SEC. So there is a very good two and ten chance in Knoxville as well. Uh, does he survive that? No, he doesn't. That's just if if he doesn't win four games, I think he's out. I would agree with that. And then you you've blown your two of your better shots with, I mean, hell, it's Georgia State and BYU. BYU is not good. No, and who do you go get now? That, that, I, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't care. I just want to see them screw up the search again so everybody can laugh. That last search was hysterical. And it, it, there's no way. It, it's only a worse job now. Yeah, they were too good for Mike Leach. Our, our producer, Michael Borky, who produces the radio show, has been yelling this from the rooftops the last two weeks. He's like, never forget they were too good for Mike Leach and a certain internet personality was also, and Nashville radio host was too good for, or led a crusade against Greg Schiano. And like, this is what you ended up with instead. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's I mean, you, you are getting what you deserve right now. Jeremy Pruitt is, I mean, this is from, Everything I've heard about him in Athens and from some stuff I've seen, he is a lifelong defensive coordinator. He is a bulldog recruiter. He is a pretty solid defensive on-the-field coach when he doesn't have to deal with an entire team. But, my God, he he doesn't have the temperament. He does not have the wherewithal. He does not have – I don't know what you want to call it. And I don't think there's going to be many people that would debate that. No, I, I agree. And there's a, a guy named Nick Suss who covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger here was student media and I think something else at Georgia for a year or two when Pruitt was there. And he said the exact same thing. He doesn't think he's equipped to be a head coach. He thinks he's a lifelong coordinator. And But so that's we had Bill Bender on our radio show the other day from Sporting News, and he brought up the point. It's like, I'm not even sure... He wasn't dismissing it as none of this matters, but he thinks it's the way the search was handled did more long-term damage to the program than anything else, and he thinks this is just a ripple effect of that. I, I would ha- I would have a hard time disagreeing with that. No, because yeah, it became it just became a perception war to where it, it became no, we didn't offer this guy. We don't think so and so is good enough. I mean, then then you hear when Dave Doran starts turning you down. I mean, then you are in a legitimate like perception issue, and then following coaches can't say well i'm not going to be the guy that accepted the job that dave doran turned down because i view that i'm worth more than him and i'm better than him and then you start getting into this ego battle and so tennessee i mean as they are definitely past number 10 of attractive sec jobs now i mean i think old miss is ahead of tennessee yeah it's just like they they're stuck in 98 and every advantage they used to have is now gone i mean what and they brought former back yeah, no. so they really are stuck in '98. Yeah, and, and there's there's just that section of that fan base that wants him to come back and coach on the field again, and it's like, like he let, like he was pushed out for a reason. Just because you've hired I mean, incompetent these, people since doesn't mean he's like he shouldn't have been moved on from. All of these schools do this. Kansas State just got rid of Snyder. They were dealing with Osborne in Nebraska. They were dealing with Barry Alvarez up in Wisconsin. 
I mean, they were dealing with Joe Poppins. You just have all of these lifers that have basically become synonymous with this program that no one seems to have the gall or the tenure or whatever you want to call it to oust this person that is clearly a detriment on the future progression of the program because they're still trying to operate the way that they won 20 years ago. Yeah, it, it's a mess. Last thing we'll get to is Florida State. I, I Jesus, I, there's no way Taggart survives this. I mean, it would it would require a miracle, and the only way that that miracle occurs is that, holy shit, the ACC is even that much worse than we thought. And, I mean, Syracuse just got the doors blown off of them by Maryland, so that we thought that was going to be the second-best team in the conference, or, and they could end up with a middling win against Liberty and then two 40-point losses after week three. So I think evaluating them as the second-best team in the conference is not valid. Virginia Tech does not look good. They, uh, they, I mean, I don't want to say barely. It was two touchdowns, but did not, did not look good against Old Dominion. Miami is 0-2. I mean, I, I don't know. I, you need to call them and get Maryland back. Yeah, no kidding. Like, just like, hey, just kidding. Like, come on, we'll give you more money. Like, I, I mean, it, the only way I see Taggart surviving is by going eight and four. And the only way that they go eight and four is if that is legitimately maybe a worse conference than the power than the than the Pac twelve after Clemson. Even if it is, they just beat ULM on a shanked extra point in overtime. It's like. I, I, ULM's been better as a program, but the fact that I'm even having to like. Like, qualify it with that is just... Jesus. And, boy, and, and like, I, I get the hurricane. Like, I understand that there is an intangible aspect of asking a bunch of kids from Florida to go play a game that they have moved from South Florida, where a lot of them and their families are from, to basically say, hey, go and play this game, and, and hurricane might hit your family eight hours later. Like, I get that that is not easy on the psyche of a bunch of 20-year-olds. But it's also not a juggernaut Boise State team. Like, Florida State should legitimately be much more talented than that Boise State team. And I, I think a lot of that is, is a factor of, I mean, I, 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 again, don't want to downplay a lot of the hurricane stuff, but I feel like LSU has been a superior talented team in a lot of hurricane scenarios and haven't lost because of distractions like that. I feel like a lot of this is just, I don't want to call it gross incompetence, but people putting um, unsubstantiated trust into Willie Taggart. Yeah, and I, I would love to know, and you probably won't know until after Taggart's gone, how much of it was just what a, like the state Jimbo left it and how much is Willie Taggart's incompetent. It's probably a little bit of both, but I'd like to know the balance or percentages. It's pro- I mean, Jimbo probably did not leave him in a good situation, but Taggart is probably not a good enough coach to completely revitalize one of what is the best 10 programs in the country. And so it, it may be a little bit, it, 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 it's probably not black and white by any means. And Taggart probably, which is an interesting thing, because Taggart may have been able to do something at Oregon, because, I, I mean, up to this point, Cristobal was one and one. They were solid last year, but it was kind of, Let's show more promise going into this year with another year of Justin Herbert and kind of got beat by like the fifth best team in the SEC in week one. So I'm not exactly sure if this is more of an indictment on, like, I don't know if Florida State made a mistake in hiring Tiger because the state of their program, I don't know if they could have done much better, but I think that they believed in him a heck of a lot more than what he's showing right now. 
I agree. I agree. He is Andrew Stevens. Tell him where you can find Armchair Media Network's work again. He is the father of that company. We are at Armchair Media on Twitter and Instagram. We are at, or I guess just armchairmedianetwork.com. So come check us out. He's Andrew Stevens, our resident Louisiana degenerate. We should we shall do this again sometime soon, dude. Thanks for your time. Absolutely, Rip. We'll talk soon. See you. And that was Andrew Stevens. We gave you a very long Wednesday podcast today. Part of that is Ole Miss is playing an opponent that is not not exactly one that you have much time to preview, a game they should take care of. So hope you enjoyed it. If you did make it to this point, it is Mailbag Friday again. Send me, text me, email me your questions. Whatever way you want to send them in is the People's Holiday. We'll be back on Friday. Like and subscribe. We appreciate the way the podcast is growing. It's been awesome to get feedback from people. I really, really appreciate it. We're excited with the way it's going. We've got some stuff coming up in the next little bit. I'm pretty pumped about. But thank you guys for listening, and we will be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.